0: Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of math do not apply here.
1: <laughs> one of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people <gasps> making fun of white people.
0: Senators have been dropping like flies recently.
1: Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles-Carter family, women just have one name.
2: Backchat on FBI Radio. That's right, you're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio, the freshest rap of news and current affairs on your radio, you're with Swetha Das, and with me in the studio today is Crikey reporter Kishore Napier-Raman. Hello, Kishore.
1: Hi, Swetha. Great to be here.
2: Oh, I love the peckiness. Let's do it. Saturday morning?
1: Absolutely. I-, I have
2: a question for you. Really? Yes. Do you think things are getting better or worse for young Australians?
1: Well, I mean, things are getting better for me because I'm on here in the studio with okay. you. All right, but-
2: you don't have to suck. <laughs> you're ah, already come on. on there.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, look, um... It's a mixed bag. It's, it's good a- for some, it's bad for others. Um, that's about as diplomatic an answer as you're going to get to, from me to anything today.
0: I,
2: um, I like yeah. that. I like that. Well, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Let us know. Do you think things are getting better or worse for young, young people? Text in 0409 945 945. We'd love to hear from you.
1: To show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks. Colin. That chat. Your alternative to talk back.
2: Now we have some killer news this week. Kishore, tell us what's been interesting in the news.
1: Well, there's a lot going on as always. But for me, it's got to be uh the recent news out of the federal court where Justice Wigney struck out Mark Latham's epic seventy-six page defense.
2: So so this is because to... Kishore um Osman Faruqi is suing
1: He is Mark yes, Latham for, for defamation? defamation. because... Defamation Latham said that Osman's hatred of white people was leading to Islamic terrorism, essentially. Um, and so Oz sued him. The judge struck out Latham's very Latham-esque defence um, and, and asked him to plead it all again. Um, if you will permit me to read a few oh my God, choice please, quotes from this absolute please. gem of a judgement. And honestly, like five years of law school, I haven't seen anything as good as this. I would have paid a lot more attention if there were all this fun. It opens with the sentence... What does the martyrdom of Christians in the Roman Empire between the reign of Emperor Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus and Emperor Flavius, Valerius, Aurelius, Constantinus, Augustus have to do with a defamation action commenced in Australia in 2017?
2: That's not real. It
1: con- it continues in much the same vein, but we could hear f- be here for hours. I
2: actually haven't read that. That is so funny.
1: Absolutely wild. <laughs> um,
2: oh, my God. And so that's, it's just completely all of Mark Latham's defense to the defamation Um, charges just been thrown out.
1: Yeah, more or less. Um, So basically, Latham has to plead again. The central kind of tenant of his defense was that he had to show some kind of link between Oz's purported racial hatred of white people and Islamic terrorism. And so to do that, he uh, forced the poor old judge to read a bunch of some of these outrageous tweets. He, he compiled a dictionary of common online terms. So I saw there was like a definition yeah, for people yeah, yeah. of
2: colour. <laughs> My As God. As if we need a
1: definition, you know. Well, <laughs> no. I mean, we do for some of us. Clearly. Look,
2: okay. I, okay, I just want to say, Kishore, I think it's time we stop being racist to white people.
1: You know what? I think <laughs> it's time we ramped up that racism a bit <laughs> oh. harder. White people. Great. But in all seriousness, I think what people like Latham don't like about people like Oz is the idea of an uppity brown man uh, kind of dropping some truth bombs about whiteness and their whiteness feels kind of besieged. And you know what? I think they're just going to have to cop it. There's more of that coming. Um,
2: Well, shall we read one of Oz's... Shall we? Let's go. Oz's tweet that Latham had a problem with. So, (laughs) Um, tweet number one. Imagine the World Cup... the World Cup, the Melbourne Definitely. Cup, <laughs> but no horses, just white people wearing dumb clothes and getting drunk in a park. Still boring, but less cruel. I think that's what's wrong with that.
1: No, I think it's funny. I, I think, mean, I think it's funny. whiteness so fragile. I mean, you can't <laughs> cop the, the 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 most you know infinitesimal little dig, and he he flips this switch and goes and
2: does he all this kind he of went thing, for you know? it. There was another one. Uh, it's not fair that I get bullied for my name when white people called Thornton McCamish exist in this country. Again, <laughs> I think that's fair. You have a very long name. I have a very long name. I have name. a very long name that's as well. Was
1: butchered all of primary school, butchered all of high school, oh, butchered for all sorry, my life, you let's know. let not air the uh, okay, This is a lot of feelings here.
2: Um, and so all of Mark Latham's um, defense got thrown out. Actually, I think we have him talking about it.
1: Oh, beautiful.
0: I will fight against anti-white racism. And I'm appealing this decision today because the fight against anti-white racism goes on. It's not funny, it's wrong, and it must be brought
1: to account.
2: It's not funny, Kisha I can not see not you laughing. It's <laughs> truly
1: the hero that white Australia needs. It's... Um, <laughs> Look, Wigney's never had a judgment successfully appealed, so all I can say is good luck to Mark.
2: So do you know what's going to happen? Actually, you don't really understand. I mean, you studied law. I, you're the closest thing we have to someone who understands oh, all that stuff. If, of us here. So he's going to appeal it, and then, like, what happens? Like, do you think he's a shot?
1: Look, I don't know. Defamation Great. law is not my strong suit. You've really backed me into can we a corner here. The law school's just down the road. We can get them on the horn if need be. Um, look, I'm not going to speculate, but let's hope we get more quality, quality content out of this case. Because, I think so. It's you know, all about the content. That's exactly I what i I just want to tweet out some yep, more quotes. Absolutely.
2: Agreed. Um, all right. So we <laughs> want to do a new segment, which is called Where Are They Now? <sighs> Love it. Where are they now? In Stupol. I mean, Osborne. Oh, my God. I'm so Freudian triggered. Freudian slip.
1: I'm so triggered looking at you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kishore and I have done student politics together. And now we're talking about Australian politics.
1: And we're very much retired from that game.
2: Yeah. And who else has retired from politics? That was a great segue.
1: Beautiful segue. Our boy Malcolm Turnbull off to enjoy his millions in his harborside mansion along with his cute grandkids. Oh, um. bless. Aww. He deserves a break. Does he really?
2: Yeah, I miss him. You should stop, stop okay. being into white people, for uh, sure. That's
1: nice. I should try to be a bit nice. Apologies <laughs> to all the white people in the audience. You know, I'm not normally like this. I'm normally
2: like this. <laughs> um, Tony Abbott, Barnaby Joyce have both been asked to serve as special envoys under PM Scott Morrison.
1: Uh, I love it. Um, the tomato and the onion eater oh both got in force. Um, so
0: <laughs> but, Tony
1: Abbott has been yeah. a special envoy for Indigenous Affairs. This, ironically, from the man who said that 78, 88 before that was just Bush. Um, and the Indigenous people living in remote communities were engaging in lifestyle choices. So Oof. a real friend of Aboriginal Jeez. Australia, um, yeah. you know, I think they're just trying to keep him in line and make him kind of happy and soothe his tortured ego.
2: Yeah, I definitely think so. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all pans out. Mm. Um, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Text in, do you think that things are getting better or worse for young Australians. We got a text in. They said, in terms of buying a house, I can say it's definitely getting worse for young people, but I'm happy to rent forever. So whatever. (laughs) And there's about 10 hours. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah,
1: it's a long time. to Uh, rent.
2: Yeah. So text in 0409 945 945. We're going to be talking about the housing affordability crisis later on in the show because we're speaking to shadow minister for young Australians, Terry Butler, which is going to be really exciting. But right now, we have a very exciting interview. So imagine if the city you were living in was suddenly struck by a war. Would you remain or would you leave?
1: This wasn't a question for Marwal Sabuni, a Syrian architect and writer who started in Homs, Syria's third largest city, with her husband and two children as the Syrian civil war raged around them. Now, Marwa is in Sydney speaking at the Antidote Festival this weekend about the importance of design and architecture in rebuilding a city ravaged by war. Welcome to the studio and to Sydney, Marwa.
3: Thank you for having me. No worries.
1: So, Marwa, tell us a little bit about the situation in Syria.
3: Right now, you mean? Right <laughs> yeah,
1: now, because, it's just, yeah.
3: <laughs> because, I mean, because the situation in Syria is just, you know, in flux all the time. Mm, yeah. uh, eight years now, almost eight years, and each... Week sometimes uh, brings something new and uh, new development uh, happens so if you are talking about now uh, for example the city I come from which is in central uh, Syria is conflict free and the conflict has passed uh, and unfortunately lifted in, in more than half of it in ruins, and utter ruins. Uh, but now people are just, you know, you can sense uh, uh, a new sense of normality coming back into cities uh, like Homs, Damascus. Uh, the coastal cities already had this sense, while in the north... Uh, uh, a, a new episode of violence is just, you know, uh, on the verge of break, uh, which is all over the news as well. But you've been in
2: Syria through the beginning of this conflict.
3: I mean, you know, now you're in a conflict-free area, but what
2: I guess made you want to stay when the war began?
3: Yeah, this is the most asked questions I get. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, because so many people have left, I mean, and so the obvious uh, question that you get, I mean, it's not just by media or people who are interested in the story. Even people I meet uh, in Syria, back in Syria, believe it or not, they will say, OK, you have a degree, you you know, I mean, you have the the potential, the capabilities that could uh, just you know uh, grant you a way outside of, of here mm. why are you staying which gives you a sense of that many people who are staying staying uh, because they want to leave I mean just you know they, they their their psychological bags are right. already packed and yeah. they just you know looking for ways to to flee and, and go uh, which wasn't? The case for for my family and I, my husband and two children, we just you know, we didn't have this uh, this state of mind. We knew that this is our place, and uh, this is where we are meant to be, and this is where we would like to continue to be and to contribute. And that's basically what rooted us uh, in. Plus, in the moment of heated conflict which was uh, which was uh, evident for us for over two years, uh, just we were we lived on a battle line, so we had every every kind of uh, wow of mm. yeah, I, mean, I mean the images of a raging war, you can imagine it all around us, and we can see it right outside the window. but for us, it was safe it was it was safer to stay in mm. than to flee out because of the many danger uh, dangers that people who had fleed just, you know, encounter on the route. Yeah.
1: So obviously um, where you are in Syria, the situation is clearly a lot better, but the scars of war are still there. So for you... How much does architecture and design play a role in perhaps rebuilding Syria and rebuilding a, a successful and peaceful Syria going forward?
3: Yeah, that's the main uh, subject I discuss in, in in my book, The Battle for Home, which I, I wrote... Uh, principally uh, around the question uh, how does architecture play a role in conflicts and uh, in this book I share the story of my city and of my country and also uh, the story of living through the war day by day. And uh, uh, in, in that sense I share the transformation that happened to Syrian cities over time since uh, I go back to, to, to the French colonization period and I, I tell the story until uh, uh, very recently before the war and how these transformation had um, uh, basically uh, traded one uh, successful model of building which had happened in, in the old parts of the cities with a new uh, and failing one which led people in, in, in a major way into uh, being in conflict, w- conflict with each other.
2: That is so fascinating. How the architecture reflects, I guess, like the political breakdown of the system. That's fascinating. I mean, what? How important is architecture to preventing war or to like easing tensions in a in an area?
3: We, I mean, we don't want to uh, bear on architecture something that it could not bear, but also we yeah. don't want to overlook the role. Uh, that architecture is responsible for and in order to 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 do that uh, you have to look at architecture uh from my view as a channel so it's it's for like for cars it's you can imagine it as the road and for for performance for example you can imagine it as the stage so the channel form and shape can uh, is is immediately connected with the uh, with the shape and form of relationships among people mm. socially economically uh, psychologically and uh, all of that uh, together uh, create uh, the sense of belonging that uh, uh, that could I mean for a place to be called home definitely now What was your journey
2: starting as an architect in Syria to a published author traveling around the world?
3: You mean what the relationship between architecture and writing?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, how did you get here? I would like, I'd love to know, (laughs) you know, what was the impetus for you writing this book and wanting to share your story?
3: You see, architects write because... uh, uh, like, for example, the first uh, the first manuscript uh, that dictated many of the Euro- European and Western styles, which is the classical, uh, was found not only in stone, it was also found in Vitrovius's, uh, the architect Vitrovius, the Roman architect Vitrovius, who wrote uh, the Ten Books of Architecture. So, And since then, architects write their own visions and build their own vi- visions. It's I mean, uh, those two aspects of architecture are not, I mean, very, very well connected. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Fascinating.
1: Really fascinating stuff. Well, look, thanks so much for chatting with us today, Marwa. It was really great to have you in. Marwa's in Sydney at the moment, and she'll be speaking at the Antidote Festival at the Opera House tomorrow about the importance of design and architecture and rebuilding a city ravaged by war. You should also check out her book, The Battle for Home, The Memoir of a Syrian.
3: architect. Architect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god. Well,
2: <laughs> How do we miss that in the script? Marwa, thank you so much for talking to us. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. So uh we're gonna go to a song, but after that we're gonna be speaking to Shadow Minister for Young Australians, Terry Butler. Uh we want to hear from you. Do you think things are getting better or worse for young Australians? We actually got a text in. They said, uh Jarvis has said privatization and deregulation, loss of unions consumerism rampant, young people do not care about Australia's economic policy and it is destroying youths and this policy. Wow. Okay, well, that's a lot to that's unpack a lot there. To list. <laughs> I hope Terry speaks about that. Uh, but right now we're going to go to a song. You're listening to Swatha and Kishore. This is Backchat on FBI Radio. To show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks. Colin. Backchat. Your alternative
1: to talk back. That was School Spirit by Kanye West, and you're listening to Back Chat with Kishore and Swetha on FBI Radio.
2: Now, Kishore, what do these events all have in common? 195 countries coming to a historic climate change agreement in Paris, the introduction of Sydney's lockout laws, and the proposal and then ditching of the proposal to make unemployed under 30 year olds wait six months to get new start.
1: Oh, I don't know. There is so much there. <laughs>
2: Well, they all affect young Australians, and they've all happened in the five years since the federal election in September 2013. The last time Australia had a minister for youth, we don't have a minister for youth for the past five years now. Last Sunday, <laughs> I know it does. Last Sunday, the new PM announced his new ministry, including a minister for ageing, but still no minister for young Australians. Another thing that's happened since 2013, after losing the election. Kevin Rudd left Parliament triggering the by-election where Terry Butler won the seat and she's now Labor's Shadow Minister for Young Australians and Youth Affairs.
0: Good morning, thanks for having me.
2: No worries. Now congratulations on your appointment as a Shadow Minister but why exactly do young Australians need a minister?
0: Well young Australians need a minister to represent their interests and be a voice within government to make sure their interests are being defended and discussed at the Cabinet table, uh, at the Ministry table and throughout the public service. And that's why Bill decided to appoint a shadow minister for Young Australians and Youth Affairs to need to uh, advocate for young people in labour policy development. Uh, Should we win government, that means that that person will be a minister for Young Australians and Youth Affairs and they'll be able to do that within government. And that's important because there's so many young people in Australia Uh, but politically they are punching a bit below their weight because their interests are not being discussed uh, in a positive way, in my experience, as much as they should be in our parliament. And you can tell from some of the policies that have been brought forward they're not being discussed and promoted in a positive way within the current government either. The examples that you gave are a really good example of that. The ideas about making additional waiting periods for people to get income support uh, is a really good example of that, I think.
2: Why doesn't the government have a Minister for Youth?
0: Well, I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I thought that they would that they would actually appoint one this time around. They haven't had one the whole time they've been in. We've had spokespeople for youth before, but the government has not, in the five years they've been in government, had a Minister for Youth or uh, anyone of that sort. I don't know why they don't do it. As you rightly say, they've got a, a Minister for Aging. Aging is very important. We do have a, a large part of our population moving into retirement, and... I don't begrudge that position at all, but we should also be thinking about what's in the interest of young people because young people right now are facing particular challenges that people of my generation and older didn't have to face. It's now much more expensive as a proportion of your income to ever buy a house or a a unit. Uh, You've got a lot of emerging issues in relation to mental health and of course, Uh, you're facing a situation where young people have got less power at work than ever before to the point where we're seeing penalty rates being cut uh, in some industries and the prospect of that happening in others.
2: Well, I'm so glad you mentioned housing because I wanted to talk to you about that. So we know that there is going to be an election, at least by May next year. And if the polling doesn't approve for the government, there's a good chance that you will be the minister for youth. So I want to talk about housing. As you know, Sydney house prices are ridiculous. Do you think that um, if you were minister for youth, you would be able to introduce some policies that would make it easier for first-home buyers? Well,
0: Labor has been very, very clear. We think a situation where first-home buyers are competing against people buying their seventh or eighth investment property is absolutely the wrong way that our country should be going. And that's why we've announced some policies to reform negative gearing, to reform capital gains tax as well, to try to take away some of those unintended consequences of our tax policies that see people having to compete so much with investment buyers. I mean, one of the problems that you have, if you're, if you're up against a cash person in their 40s, 50s or 60s, when you're trying to buy your first house, of course it's going to be very, very difficult for everyone uh, unless they happen to have some intergenerational wealth stashed away. We have to actually change those tax laws because if we don't, the problem will just keep getting worse and worse and worse. So we want to focus on that. I think just as importantly as the question of ownership, we have to look at the issues of tenancy. Tenancy is a, largely a state-regulated area of law But there has to be some work done, I think, to change the culture of the way tenancy works in this country as well.
2: So in Labor's housing affordability policy, it mentions that the Liberal government got rid of the 1st home savers account scheme in 2015. This was a Labor 2007 election policy that essentially was a lower-tax bank account where the government would match 17% of contributions up to $900. Is there a chance that Labor would reintroduce something like this? Well,
0: I'm very interested in taking a look at what we can do in relation to housing affordability. I do want to look at any potential for unintended consequences uh, for housing affordability measures because what you actually need to do is make sure that you don't do anything that pushes up house prices by direct government subsidy, which I'm not saying that that did or that it would do in the future, but you do want to look very carefully at policy design. Ultimately House prices in Australia are out of control because of some specific features of the Australian economy. It's particularly the case in Sydney, as you say. But you've seen a real decoupling of asset price inflation from consumer price inflation. In other words, house prices have gone up much more quickly than uh, consumer good prices. And they've also gone up much, much more quickly than wages. I think if we look at what we can do to start to pull back that house price inflation, and then also look at the other side of that equation, which is wages. And one problem that young people have, I think particularly at the moment in trying to afford to buy a, a house or a unit or trying to afford rent somewhere close to where their job is, is that the wage price index, which is the measure of inflation for wages and increases in wages, has been in the doldrums now for the last few years, really hanging around at the lowest level that's been in the last 20 years. And that's because people's bargaining power is poor and that's particularly, difficult for people with the least power in the labour market, which tend to be young people.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you've mentioned wages and housing affordability. I'd love to know, what are some other youth policies or issues that are at the forefront for labour?
0: Well, I think housing and housing affordability has to be very much in the centre of what we do. But as I said, there's a range of other issues that we're very concerned about. We have to deal with penalty rates. You can't have people's penalty rates being taken away. I think the government thinks of penalty rates as a bit of extra cash, uh, you know, a bit of spending money. It's it's central to people's ability to afford to pay their bills, that their wages not be cut and that means no abolition of penalty rates. So we've got a, a draft bill in the, well, we've got a bill in the um, House of Representatives at the moment to deal with that issue and it's something that I'm keen to continue to pursue. I also think we need to look at mental health. You know, Labour in government funded mental health services for people under 25 in the form of headspace, there's a lot of headspaces across the country. Wherever I go, young people tell me that mental health is a key concern uh, and I can really understand why. I think there's so much pressure on younger people. All the economic factors that we've talked about put pressure on younger people. Younger people also have, for the first time really now, ubiquitous social media and communication technology. When I was a 20-year-old, of course, we had email and, of course, we had the internet. But it just wasn't um, everywhere and as invasive and intrusive as it is now. It's something that particularly worries me. That's one of the reasons why I've taken an interest in technology and the way technology can be used and misused. And uh, I recently, well, actually not that recently, three years ago, sponsored a private member's bill. Uh, to protect people against the unauthorised distribution of intimate images and videos, which is sometimes called revenge porn. Yeah. Uh, the government finally passed that bill through the House last sitting week. Fantastic. Uh, after three years of lobbying and advocacy from people on the Labor side, uh, Tim Watts and I had put that bill in, as I say, three years ago. I'm interested in what we can do in relation to technology and the challenges that it poses. Of course, there's plenty of great uses for technology as well, but those things can also feed into the mental health stresses on people.
2: Oh, fantastic. We'd love to see what you, the future holds in store for you as Shadow Minister for Youth. But before we let you go, in the lead up to this interview, we uncovered a little-known fact about you. We've heard oh that you, no. yeah, So we've <laughs> heard that you enjoy playing the online role-playing game World of Warcraft. True or false?
0: I was just talking about World of Warcraft with some friends yesterday. I haven't played for ages. <laughs> okay. Um, my people always ask me which faction I'm in, and I always say alliance because my mum's in the alliance. Oh,
2: fantastic. Well, the big news this month is that there's a new expansion to the game Battle for Azeroth. I'm not sure if you've heard about it.
0: I um, have heard about it. I don't think I'm going to get much time
2: to play it. Oh, so. no. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but I wanted to read out an excerpt of the story. So... Azeroth paid a terrible price to end the apocalyptic march of the Legion's crusade, but even as the world's wounds attended, it is the shattered trust between the Alliance and Horde that may prove hardest to mend. So my question, Terry, is how similar is World of Warcraft to <laughs> Ozpol? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's
0: very similar. Um, <laughs> Not as many orcs in the Parliament as in the game, but I think um, (laughs) people could, uh, you know, people could definitely draw some parallels between what happened last week uh, in the Parliament and what happens online.
2: (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Terry. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks
0: for having me. Lovely to talk to you too.
2: That was Shadow Minister for Young Australians and Youth Affairs, Terry Butler, and hopefully we can get her on the show again soon. Maybe uh, she might become Minister... Youth Affairs who knows
1: we live in hope (laughs) that's all we have for the show today folks big thanks to our guests Mara Sabuni and Terry Butler as well as our producers Natalie Sekolowska, Cam Wilson and Amelia Zhao
2: and of course thank you to our guest host Kishore thank you so much for being on it's been my
1: pleasure (laughs) talking about (laughs) white
2: people we love it
1: anything (laughs) to do that
2: a dream Uh, thanks for listening to the show you can listen into our podcast on the FBI radio website we'll leave you with a track from Kanye West Jesus Walks
3: in honour of Kishore. Love it. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.